Hi, this is Dr. MJ coming to you from beautiful Boston, Massachusetts. This is the Women in Dentistry podcast where we feature women in dentistry making waves and leading the industry through the next decade. I am your host, Dr. Mary Jane Hanlon, a former dental assistant, dental hygienist, and now dentist. I am very pleased to introduce you today to Dr. Mary Martin. Dr. Martin obtained both her undergraduate degree in dental hygiene and her DDS at the University of Oklahoma. She followed up with a master's of education from the University of Central Oklahoma. Dr. Martin is one of the founding women in Oklahoma to establish the Oklahoma Association of Women Dentists and has mentored both males and females in the dental and dental auxiliary field. She's been an officer of AOWD and a member of some capacity since 1985. She served as president more than once and as treasurer for six years. Additionally, Dr. Martin served as national president of the American Association of Women Dentists in 1994 to 95 and then again in 2016. The Smiles for Success Foundation actually began in 1995 when Dr. Martin appointed Dr. Donna Rumberger to start a pilot program in New York City. She continues to participate in this philanthropic arm of the American Association of Women Dentists, currently leading that organization as its president. In addition, Dr. Martin is a trustee of the Gillette Hayden Memorial Foundation of the AAWD. It is indeed my pleasure now to bring you to my interview with Dr. Mary Martin. So Mary, it's so exciting. I have been looking forward to talking with you all week and I will tell you why. I have known your name since I was in dental school. Now, I don't know how I knew your name, but I think it had to do with uh, the American Association of Women Dentists, which I was a member of when I was in dental school. And today I'm a mentor to that group at Tufts. So, you know, I think it was because of that, but I have been following your career my entire life. And when Tamara said that you and she were really good friends, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'd love to meet her. So like I usually do, I'd love to know how you started in the field of dentistry and what led you to dentistry. Was it a family member? You know, what in particular got you started in the field of dentistry? Okay. Well, it is, uh, I think, a very touching story. I grew up in a very, very poor family. My father died when I was five, and my mom was one of those stay-at-home moms before, but she had to go to work, and there were five of us at home, and she did not have an education. In fact, she'd only gone to the eighth grade, and so she took menial jobs, actually cleaning places, working in a nursing homes. I mean, she, but she was too proud to go on welfare. She did whatever she could. She just worked, worked, worked. But she still made sure we went to the dentist, not regularly, but with five kids, somebody always had a toothache. And so we had a wonderful dentist in town. We did not have a car, so we walked to the dentist. And our dentist was such a loving, wonderful man, he let us pay him out. And my mother paid him every month, sort of like a utility bill I learned later. I learned later because I worked for that dentist, and so I found our old record. And my mom had made him payments of 5 and $10 every month regularly, and he just saw all of us kids and just charged it out. 
but when I was 16, I was in there one day after a car accident where I'd, I'd actually lost a front tooth. And he was working on me. And uh, the day he took out sutures and put in a flipper, he said, what are you doing this summer, Mary? And it was the summer before my senior year in high school, because I, yes, I was going into my senior year. And I said, I'm going to work at the pool. I was so proud I had a job. And he said, well, why don't you think about coming to work for me? I would like to train you as a chair's side dental assistant. And I was like, what? And I went home and I said, I don't know. I'll have to ask my mom. So I went home and told my mother. My mother was like, praise Jesus. This is perfect. And so I said, really? I don't know. There's a lot of cute boys at that pool. And she said, no, Mary, you are going to work for Dr. Rumsey because that's a future. And so I said, okay. So that was it. I went to work for Dr. Rumsey. I fell in love with dentistry. And he talked me into going to college. He said, you have to go to college. You have to do this. And at first he said, he did say dental hygiene. I mean, that's what everybody said in the 60s. And I just said, okay. I mean, I did fall in love with dental hygiene. And so I went to, I made my life plan. Now it took me a long time. Mind you, it took me longer to get my bachelor's in hygiene than it did to get my doctorate in dental school because I had so many obstacles. You, one of your questions to prepare me for was obstacles to my education. I meant more obstacles getting a bachelor's degree than I did to get a dental degree. Oh, you've got to expand on that a little bit then. My biggest obstacles were getting out of from whence I came because I grew up in this poor situation and our family was just known as being the poor family in town, I guess. And I, when I was a senior in high school, even though I had my job and I had straight A's, I went to the counselor at the school and asked, how do I apply for a scholarship? I, the dentist in town has recommended that I go to such and such a college so I can go to hygiene school. And I had already researched what I had to do to get into hygiene school at UMKC because we didn't have one in Oklahoma at the time. And the counselor, honest, this is the honest truth. He looked me right in the eye and said, Mary, no one in your family goes to college. You need to just go get a job. And those were his exact words. And speaking of no confidence, I mean, it was true. No one in my family had ever gone to college. And I said, really? And he said, yeah, just go on, get go. And he wouldn't even sign me up to take, now I took the ACT, but I wanted to take the SAT and all the other, he would not. You had to get in Skytook, my little town, you had to get on a bus and go to Tulsa to take it. He wouldn't put, let me get on the bus. Oh my goodness. This happened in 1967. So I, the next, that year when all my classmates went off to college, I worked. I stayed and worked for Dr. Rumsey in SkyTube. So let me ask you a question. Did Dr. Rumsey get mad at that guidance counselor? Yes, he did. I bet he did. Because he saw something in you that the guidance counselor didn't see. Yeah. And he said, Mary, you are gonna be you are gonna be fine. You are going to be fine. You're gonna get out of it someday. You're going just keep focused. So 
I did what a lot of girls do back then. I got married and we moved to um, another town that had a college in it. We moved to the southeastern part of the state where there was a college in town. I went to work for another dentist, but then I started going to college at night to get my prereqs for hygiene school. It took me three years to get my two years of prereqs. And then I applied for hygiene school at, by then OU had a hygiene school and I got in. So it took me, well, I, I got out of high school in 1967. I didn't graduate with my bachelor's in hygiene until 74. See, that was a long, from 67 to 74 to get a bachelor's. But now once I got to dental school, I kind of was on the fast track. <laughs> So tell us about the transition. What made you decide to go to dental school after hygiene school? Did you go right away? No, no, I didn't. And I, but I could have, this is, this was a wonderful part of my, I've had a lot of males who really helped me along the way. Number one was Dr. Rumsey, of course. Number two was when I went for my interview for dental hygiene school, we had to get interviewed back then. Um, during my dental hygiene interview, they said that there was a man that from the dental student side that had asked, had requested an interview with me. And I said, okay. And he came over, his name was Richard Reynolds, and he was a chair of the applicants for dental school. And he wanted to know if I would consider switching from hygiene to dental school. And duh, I said, oh no, I want to be a hygienist. Oh my goodness. I said that. I said, oh no, I want to be a hygienist. And he said, you're kidding, right? And he said, well, we don't have a female applicant for this class and we really want a female. And we've looked through your material and we think that you could be a good a dentist. And I said, well, thank you very much. I'm flattered, but I don't have all the courses. And he said, well, you've got time to pick up the two more chemistry classes you need and we would hold a spot for you. I mean, they offered it to me and I said, no. Oh my gosh. So that was, that was a sign, I think, but I didn't take it. But anyway, I was accepted to hygiene school. I went to hygiene school. I mean, I, I did that. Then I worked as a hygienist for a few years. Then they called me and wanted me to teach hygiene. So I taught two years of hygiene. And while I was teaching this same gentleman, Dr. Reynolds, who was, just one of my heroes also kept walking up in the hallways and saying, when are you going to go to dental school? When are you going to go to dental school? You've got to be bored by now. And I was getting a little bored. So I said, Oh, I think I might apply. So I did because I'd started picking up my other classes at night. So then I went to dental school. And what year did you graduate? 84. So 10 years apart, 74 from dental, from hygiene, 84 from dental school. So, but it all, you know, it was all meant to be because, absolutely, you know, I got divorced along the way and I'm married again now. And the man I'm married to graduated also in 84. So it was perfect. I mean, you know, I married the perfect husband for me and he was in the class of 84. So it was meant to be. Absolutely. Everything works out the way it's supposed to work out. Isn't it amazing the differences, different people that enter our lives can make on us? Oh, yeah. We share a similar story in that that I also went to hygiene school. I graduated 15 years later from dental school. So I practiced a long time. 
But I had a guidance counselor tell me that, no, you want to be the hygienist. And I said, I know the difference between a hygienist and a dentist. I want to be a dentist. And he looked me right in the eye and he said, you're not smart enough. <sighs> so, you know, it's interesting now reflecting back on the, the several interviews that I have been doing with women in the field and realizing how many of us are out there that had men in our lives that told us we couldn't do something, but we did it anyway. So I'm trying to think about what is the difference? You know, you said no to dental school when you were offered the position, but what eventually led you to go to dental school was maybe his persistence or do you think that you had a change in your confidence level? I definitely had a change. For one thing, I, I've always set goals and I set goals as a hygienist also of things I wanted to accomplish as a hygienist. And I had set, I did all those very quickly. I mean, I accomplished all of them very, very quickly. And all of a sudden it's like, okay, I've done all those things. I'd done, I had been active in the hygiene organization. I'd become president of the organization. I had taught hygiene. I'd, you know, been director of clinics and hygiene and I'd already done all those things. I was like, well, what am I going to do now? I've done everything there was to do in hygiene in just a few years. And I thought, this isn't going to work. You know, I've got my whole life ahead of me and I still have things to do. So I had to go into something then that I knew I would never accomplish all the goals I wanted to in dentistry. There were too many. It was too big. So, I mean, for some women, I'm sure they'd need bigger than dentistry. I've already met some women dentists who had to go on to other specialties in medicine or whatever. But for me, general dentistry has been big enough because I've found other avenues of, of things to get into. Absolutely. And we'll talk about that. Right. You, you have to find what's your niche. I agree. I agree. So you go through four years of dental school. Now, were you still the only female during that class or were there no, more No, there were several. Class? There were several but it was it was just the first class that really kind of blossomed with a lot of women. I think we had 17 out of 70. Wow. So I thought that was a lot, but we still, you know, we got a lot of comments. I, I mean, I had one of my faculty early on, you know, come up to me in lab and get down close in my personal space and tell me, you know, you're taking the place of a man. He said it right, to, and that was in 1980. And I said, well, if he was smart enough, he'd be sitting here. And I said that right back to him because this was a faculty member I had taught next to as a hygienist. And I really thought that they would be nicer to me, but they weren't. In fact, my classmates felt like they were harder on me. I had classmates say, Mary, they are a lot harder on you because they don't want to get accused of being nicer to you because you worked with them. And so they were, I did get graded pretty severely because they didn't want to be seen as treating me nicer. So the ones that I had worked with as co-teachers, they didn't like to grade me. And I understood that. Uh, but when they did, they were pretty harsh. And I just thought, well, let's just try not to do that. Let's try not to even get near each other. But anyway, but I graduated. I did well. So, you know, I did well. 
And Dr. Reynolds, that same doctor that had pushed me on, asked me to come back and teach in his department when my first opportunity for, I, I would plan to go into private practice. I'd found a practice that um, I, I was, in fact, I was going, an office had opened up, a space had opened up in a place next to where I'd done an externship. And I was in negotiations with the gentleman on the space. I'd already gone in and drawn up plans and talked to him in negotiations. And this will just blow you away, but it happened again. The gentleman that I worked for on Saturdays, I worked as a hygienist on Saturdays during dental school. And the gentleman that I worked for on Saturdays rented from this guy. He underbid me for that space. And never even told me, I mean, I had shared with him as, you know, I just talked, just said, oh, guess what? I'm going to get to, I'm going to rent from Dr. So-and-so and we'll be neighbors, we'll be colleagues and we can just work to continue working together. I'll just be the dentist next door and blah, blah, blah. And I, stupid me, I had told him all my plans and how much money and all of that never dreaming because he had never even told me that he was looking to expand stupid wasn't that stupid that was a stupid woman thing to do okay so nothing is stupid we're just not educated right but that was something a young woman dentist would do that had not had a mentor and that was what in 1984 because there were no women ahead of me and I had no women call. I had no women colleagues. I had no women teachers. I had no one. And I, you, I don't know what you. When did you graduate? Ninety-seven. So you did have some teachers. See, I didn't have any women ahead of me to help me. We had two: one one medicine and one oral pathology, and both of them uh, love intensely. There's the medicine teacher still teaches at Tufts. Oh, okay. Well, I didn't have, I just didn't have anybody to ask questions. I mean, I, I had nobody except the guys and I probably, I could have asked, but I didn't even, I just thought the person I worked for, I thought he was trustworthy. I thought he was my friend and I learned the hard way because he, he took that practice and I was devastated. So I was talking about it at school and somehow Dr. Reynolds, the same one that had tried to get me to go to dental school, found out about it. It's a small school. He heard that I was no longer, I didn't have a practice to go to when I graduated. So about a month before graduation, he sent for me and I thought, oh gosh, what have I done? I was asked to go see Dr. Reynolds. And when I walked in, he said, well, I heard you're not going to practice anymore. And I said, well, yeah, but I just don't have one right now, but I'll find something. And he said, well, how would you like to teach neural diagnosis? I have an opening. And I was like, what? And he said, well, I have an opening and you, you know, you have two years teaching experience already. So I would love to offer you the position. Wow. And I mean, I had a child at home. I was a single mother at the time. I couldn't very well say no to that. Right, right, right. I was pretty happy. And so I stayed teaching for 20 years. And then, then I left and went to uh, private practice with my husband and practiced 15 years. And then we sold our practice in December of 18 and now I'm back at the school. Isn't that exciting? 
and mentoring, I'm sure, students and young women there as well. Yes, and I'm doing what you're doing. I'm head of the AAWD. I'm the student advisor. Excellent, excellent. So tell us a little bit about your journey in leadership, because you, you started the Oklahoma chapter of AAWD? Yes. So tell us a little bit about all of that and how you got involved in what it was like to be a young dentist doing something that to me is extraordinary. Well, it was just, uh, it was just, for me, it was a magical, it was magical. When in my senior year in dental school, I won the scientific award that, you know, when you do a presentation now, they're, they're all very heavy research based, but in the eighties, I mean, some of them are, but some of them are just, I can't, you know, that it was more like a table clinic presentation and I won the one for OU and went to the ADA to present at national at the SCADA awards, S-C-A-D-A, the scientific awards, which, I mean, I knew I didn't have a chance to win because mine wasn't a big super research project, but heck, I was just excited. I got to go to California and take my 12-year-old daughter with me. So we were we were having a great time. So I went to the ADA, presented my program, and Amber and I got to walk around the exhibit hall at the ADA, which I was just, you know, big eyes looking at this. And one of, I walked past the AAWD booth. I had never heard of AAWD because we did not have that at OU. There was nothing, I'd never even heard of it. I walked by and I saw all these women and I saw that those posters and those signs and they were the nicest women I'd ever seen in my life. And I, I couldn't leave. I couldn't pull myself away from that table. And I said, who are you guys? And they stood there and talked to me and I just, I just fell in love. And I said, okay, I've got to join right now. And I signed the paper and I said, give me all the information. I want to start an Oklahoma chapter. And they said, well, you're a student. And I said, well, I'm graduating. I'm going to start one as soon as I get out. And so they said, okay, we will keep you to that. And Cheryl Cresswell was the president then. She's long retired. But anyway, she, I kept in touch with her and then all the following presidents. And so my first year as a junior faculty member in 1985, I managed to get a list it's probably illegal to do this now, but I managed to get a list of all the women dentists in Oklahoma from the state board, their names and addresses. I, don't, I really don't think you can do that now. And I sent a letter to all of them asking if they would be interested, if they're interested in women getting together, that I was going to be at this restaurant. It happened to be a pizza place in Oklahoma City on such and such an evening at six o'clock and that anybody's interested, I was just going to be sitting there with information about this organization. And I'd just like us to get together and talk about it. And you're on your own for dinner, but that's what I wanted to do. And that's what I did. And 65 women showed up. Oh my gosh. That's amazing. I know. It was amazing. It was great. And only, and it was just, I opened it up to conversation. I just said, well, you guys, I'd passed out the sheets and said, 
what do y'all think about this? And we all talked and there was only one or two women that said, oh, we better not do this. This will make the men mad. I know. And then and everybody said, so what? But yeah. And I, I said, you know, you guys don't have to join. I mean, I'm just saying the one, whatever. So we elected officers and then it was kind of sad because one of the officers we elected the next week called me and said, I, I can't be an officer because she was an associate. My boss said I couldn't be an officer in this organization. Isn't that sad? That's really sad. So we had, she had to drop out being an officer because we were such a scandalous group in 1985. But after that, that was really the only bad part. But now it's, the organization is still going on. And so that's a good thing. It's very strong actually, and, and only getting stronger. As far as I can see, I do know that the students love that group. They love the camaraderie. You know, we, we get all the, you know, we're very lucky at Tufts. We have a lot of female leadership. It wasn't that way when I got there seven years ago, but we had a dean that really, you know, took an interest in women and saw that there wasn't enough women and saw that the, the school classes are heading in that direction, getting to be more and more female. In fact, our D24 class coming in is close to 63%. Wow. I know. So amazing. Well, I learned the majority of my leadership. I learned my beginning leadership skills in AAWD. And that's one of the things that we do in AAWD is teach leadership skills. I mean, we teach leadership to the young women dentists. We put them in leadership positions right in the beginning. And, you know, we say, okay, you're in charge of this. And if they don't, you know, like, that's one of the things they do is they learn how to be a leader in AAWD. And then a lot of the women dentists in, in the ADA that move on up, they learn it and they learned it at the AAWD level, even speakers, that's where they learned it. So I learned a lot of mine at AAWD. Then I was fortunate to get to go to the ELAM course, the Executive Leadership in Academic Medicine, and that, that, was, that was wonderful. So I, was, I got a lot of training there, and I felt like I really had some major growth during that year. So that helped a lot. So, but I have to say AAWD, I feel like AAWD has really made me who I am today. I mean, I would not be where I am without that organization. And they, my first year here at the state dental level was non-existent because I had a bad experience at my first ODA, ODA meeting the count on the county level. And I didn't go back for a year. <laughs> It's a funny story I have to tell you, MJ. I have to tell you this funny story. I would love it. I went to my first county dental meeting in 1984, right after our graduation. And I wore this, you know, in 84, we wore those little shirts that had little bow ties. And I had a navy blue suit. And I walked in. <laughs> and there weren't very many women there. I think there were three. But this first guy I walked up to asked me to get him a drink. Oh my goodness. He thought I was a cocktail waitress. Oh. And I just said, I, I'm not a cocktail waitress. I'm a dentist, just like you. And I turned around and walked off. Good, good. I didn't go back 
for a year until I had someone else to go with me. And so when we first started having OAWD meetings, that's what I would, we would have our meetings like a week or so before the county dental meetings. And I would say, okay, you guys, we're going to go to the county dental. How many are going with me? And we would kind of go as a clump, you know, because we, it was groups. I said, you'll feel better if we go in a group. And, and so we used to do that. That was years ago. Now there's so many of us, it's not necessary, but that's how we used to do it. We used to go in a group. But when I graduated from dental school in 97, I got to tell you, we did the same thing still then. So all those years later, we're still having to go to the district meetings. We call them districts in Massachusetts. Still go to the district meetings with friends because you knew that once you walked in, you know, you were not going to be accepted very easily. They were not congenial. They did not chat with you. It was a good old boys network all the way through. And oh, I will say sure. that, yeah, I, I will say that I had a dentist when I told him that I was looking for office space in Lexington. He actually said to me, which is a town just west of Boston, he actually said to me, oh, MJ, you'll never make it here. There's too many of us. And, you know, obviously that was his insecurity. I didn't listen to him, obviously, but, you know, it's interesting how much has stayed the same and, and how little has changed with, especially with the older generation. I do believe that the younger men are very different. Oh, I think so. Yeah. And rightly so. You know, they have much, much more guidance from strong women that are moms and moms that are working and, you know, where I had a lot of guilt at times with my own daughter, you know, not having a mom at home during, you know, when I was in dental school, you know, she was pretty much my husband's responsibility. And I had family everywhere taking care of her because it was too hard to go through school with, with a child, you know, and, and a house and all of that kind of stuff. I had tremendous guilt. Too. Yeah, I bet you did. I bet you did. And, you know, so how do we balance that as women? And, you know, realize that the one thing that I do remember more than anything, I never once had to tell my daughter to study, not once, her entire school years, because from a very early stage, all she did was see mom studying, right? So I would come home late, I would take out my books and I would get them, you know, get ready for the night and send her off to bed. But she always saw me studying. So for her, that's just what you did. Right. So, you know, I think that it's got, everything has a silver lining to it, doesn't it? That, that you know, we are portraying to our children, our daughters, leadership ability by doing something that may not fit into somebody else's category. Right, right. So amazing. So what's the single best piece of advice somebody's ever given you and who did it come from? As far as being a, a leader, like a team leader, or even in dentistry, it came from Dr. Reynolds again, my first boss in academics. He told me one time to not, because I started to do this, to, when you're angry, to not ever send out any, to not ever type a memo or, or do any response when you're angry. If you're gonna write something, type something, whatever, put it in a draft. At that time we were writing letters. He said, just put it in a drawer, wait 24 hours, 
and see if you still feel the same way. Any big decisions, anything, wait 24 hours. Everything will wait 24 hours and take care of it then. And that has really stuck with me for, well, 36 years. And I have saved myself a lot of embarrassment. I have. And I just keep thinking, boy, he has kept me out of a lot of trouble. Yeah. And so true. And even today, you know, reply all is our nemesis, right? Because, you know, you think you're just responding to one person, but the people copied on that email get this message that you're upset about something. And the next thing you know, you're totally embarrassed. So yes, I agree with you. The best, best piece of advice. Unbelievable. That's awesome. And he did it simply, it was because he had done something that actually he did that with me in dental school. I had parked my car down in the front of the dental school, you know, and a student should never do that. And he knew my car and he had fired off a memo to me, really raking me over the coals. And I had parked there to let my patient out because my patient couldn't walk. I mean, and had to be, but he didn't know that. And so when I showed him, when someone saw me, he saw me helping my little crippled patient into the car. Then he, he called me up and said, look what I did. I have to show you what I almost sent to you. And so I was not even graduated that. And he called me up. He said, I decided this would be a teachable moment. But he said, I also wanted to show you that I can be humble. What an, he sounds like an amazing man, an amazing man. So I was a dental, senior dental student. Well, I was, everybody was scared to death of him, and I was too. I, and that, I mean, because he's just a big, scary guy, and I couldn't believe he even did. He scared me when he called me in, and I knew he had seen my car parked down there because his office was right above, and I thought, oh, I'm dead. I'm in trouble. But he... But I had that good, I had a reason for parking there. But anyway, then he said, I just had to show you, I'm humble too. When he said, I might as well use this as a teachable moment. So he told me that. What a great piece of advice. Yeah, plus it was another thing. He taught me to be humble and show, tell me that he almost made a big mistake. Unbelievable. What helped you most to get to where you are today? Is there any one thing or, or a series of things that contributed to you know, you being so successful and, and having such a great career in dentistry? I think my faith. Mm. I have since uh, at least the last 20 years, I've worked really hard at, at, at strengthening my faith. I made it till about the year 2000, just struggling on, on my own, I thought. And then I kind of looked back, I took a breath and took some time and looked back and thought, you know, I haven't been doing this on my own at all. And uh, I decided that i had had some divine help all this time and I needed to really look into, look into it. And so I've spent 20 years in Bible study so the last 20 years, that's really made a big difference in my life to keep me, because the trouble hasn't stopped. I've still had 20 more years of stress and difficulty, like everybody does, I mean, every day. 
but that certainly made the last 20 years a lot easier than the first 20 because now I feel like I have that faith to rely on. Plus I have a good life partner. Right. And that makes a big difference, doesn't it? We've been married 31 years, you know, so that makes a huge difference. Yeah. It's amazing what a good partner can do to a relationship and to us personally, because we feel so connected and we feel so blessed to have somebody to share this life with. Oh, unbelievable. You know, I was just felt like I was doing it on my own for so long. And now I, I don't feel that way. I'm not doing any, I'm not doing anything on my own. It's so great. Have you had an aha moment that you were, you found yourself being exactly where you always expected to be? You know, I've heard, I've had several moments when I felt like I, it was supposed to be that way. Uh, when I became chair, I was chair of world diagnosis and radiology. My boss, Dr. Reynolds, I didn't immediately replace him. There was another chair in between, but eventually I became chair. I, I took that position. And um, again, that was a big hurdle to get that job because when they put out the search for that position, they did a national search for that position. And I had been the interim chair and the dean of the school came up and asked me at that time, Mary, would you serve on the search, on the search committee? And I said, no. And he said, why don't you want to be on the search committee? And I said, because I'm going to apply for the position. And he said, you're going to what? And I said, well, I've been the interim chair for a year. I'm going to apply. And he said, exact words, exact words. He said, Mary, you don't have a snowball's chance in hell of getting that job. <gasps> exact words. Oh my gosh. So what year was that, Mary? Uh, that would have been 92, about the time you were in junior, about 96, 96. You don't have a snowball's chance in hell. And I said, well, it's because I didn't have a master's in oral, in oral medicine. See, my master's is in education. I didn't have a master's in oral medicine, and this is to be the chair of oral diagnosis and radiology, but I'd been doing it for a year. And I just said, well, I'm going to apply anyway. Good for you. Good for you. And uh, he said, okay. So anyway, then, um, but I could just see myself there. I just knew, I just knew. I mean, I went to bed at night and I, dreamed of myself in that office. I could see myself in the chair behind that desk. And I just, I just knew that was my job. I just knew it was. I, you know, I find that interesting because, you know, I believe sincerely that visualization and having that inner knowing and faith in what we can accomplish makes all the difference in the world. And I believe that the reason why you were able to be successful and overcome even the Dean's comment was because you could see yourself there. Well, I think so too. I think that visualization did a lot. And I thought it every day, every day I could see myself there. So anyway, then another, then when I did get the job and he had to offer it to me, <laughs> it was hilarious when he, when he offered it to me, he said, well, he said, I guess you know what I'm going to say. And I said, well, I'm not so sure. But he said, well, you know, 
he said, well, the, the selection committee picked you. And I said, I said, well, don't be so excited about it. And he said, well, you know, it wasn't, you weren't my choice. And I said, I know. And he said, well, okay. And then he said, well, now we have to talk salary. And I said, okay. And the salary he offered me was less than the other doctors in the department. And I knew that because as interim chair, I had been doing, I've been doing the payroll. And so of course I said, no, no, I'm not gonna take that. And he was very upset with me over that. But this is the one thing I want to include somehow on, on this video to student advice to students. I like to, I put a lot of confidence in my dress when I'm looking forward to a position. I think you have to dress for that position. And so when I went for the interview and then when I went to talk to him about money, I wore the most expensive suit I owned. And I had just gotten a new suit just for that. And I was looking at what he offered me and I thought, I'll never buy another suit that costs this much if I take that amount. And I just said, no. And I just sat there and I didn't say another word. And I thought, I am not speaking. And I thought, I'm just gonna wait and wait, I'm just gonna sit here. And what finally happened, he, cra he crashed. Mm -hmm. I thought, I'm not speaking. I know that whoever speaks first loses. And I thought, I'm not talking. And I just sat there and eventually he said, well, damn it. And gave me more money. But, and then he did tell me, then he did say, well, you know, there's men in this school now that make less money than you. And they have children to feed. And I said, well, you know what? So do I. Mm -hmm. I know. It's amazing, that mentality. So, you know, Kathy O'Loughlin is famous of saying that we don't negotiate and we leave money on the table all the time as women in our contracts. And in fact, I have a, her coming to talk to my study group about that because you know, during this season, you know, all of our students are getting ready to graduate. Well, God willing, they'll be ready to graduate and move on to the next step in their career. And many of them are negotiating contracts and many of them, especially women, will just accept exactly what they're offered. And they, they leave money on the table because men will never do that. No, men and we have to train them. We have to teach them how to negotiate on their own behalf. Yeah, that's true. Women, women never negotiate. And that's the only, that's probably the only time I ever did. But I would, I mean, I knew all the numbers. So it was, it was really quite easy for me to negotiate. So I find it fascinating that you had enough confidence in your ability to do that at that moment in time, because women, you know, we've had a struggle in the field of dentistry for a long time. That being said, you know, you were probably one of very few female chairs, correct? I was the first chair at OU. I was the only female chair. Wow. So at that moment in time, you were stealing, stealing a man's position, right? I was. But how, you know, you had the confidence to say no. And I'm not going to do that. And I got to give you a lot of credit because in that moment in time, most women 
would have been so excited about the opportunity, they would have just said, okay, no problem, and done 10 times more work than any guy. I think, you know, I think part of it comes from my background of coming from such a poor family. You know, I, I grew up having nothing. I mean, nothing. So to all of a sudden have all that I have, I mean, so what am I going to do? I'm going to lose that. I'll just get another job. I mean, you know, I, I knew that I wasn't going to not have a job. I'm a dentist. You know, right. I have a job. I may not have that job, but I wasn't going to take less than I was worth. I had worked too hard for that. And I would rather be, I would rather not have a job than to not get what I was worth in that position. Now, I know I've done it before. There's no question I've done it. I mean, I'm not saying I've, I've not always negotiated well, there's for sure. But you did in that moment in time. So in that moment in time, I did. Mm -hmm. So do you, reflecting back on your life, was there, were you always confident in your ability? And did you always have that feeling of worthiness? Or is that something that you developed over time? I developed it over time. I, many years, I was very, uh, I was just, I, I felt like, I felt like the poor kid from the wrong side of the tracks. You know, I felt kind of ashamed and I didn't know why. I was like, why do I feel, I mean, I felt different because we were poor, you know, and my clothes were homemade and, you know, it just felt I wasn't one of the cool kids. Right, right. But then after high school, that all changed. And is that when you started to develop your confidence when Dr. Ramsey took an interest in you? I think I didn't really get a lot of confidence till I got my bachelor's degree. I think I had to get it once I got my bachelor's degree. I remember when I graduated with my bachelor's and, you know, by that time, that was 1974. But I remember that day I got my bachelor's degree, I thought I could conquer the world. And that was the first I was the first college graduate in my family. It was on Mother's Day, 1974. I'm, just, I'm getting emotional thinking about it. That was the day. That was it. I felt like, okay, I can do it. Yeah. I can do this. And that changed everything for me. That changed everything. Because then I got a, and then I got a job as a dental hygienist. I was making huge, huge money, huge. For me, you know, I had been dirt, dirt poor, eating commodity food, you know, and I was making big money. So my whole life changed after that. And isn't it amazing that, you know, the impact of just that one decision in that one person who believed enough in you to change the trajectory of your life? you know, that we can have that much of an impact on younger people by just caring for them, caring enough or seeing something in them that they may not see in themselves and working with that and pushing and nudging and saying, it's okay, you can do this. That was a message I gave. When I received an award at, in Oakland, at the ODA, I, I won an award one year that distinguished dental service or something but when I in my little thank you 
note because it was to dentists and hygienists. And that's what I told them. I, I said, the first time I went to the state dental meeting, I was 16 and Dr. Rumsey took me to the state dental meeting in Tulsa because he was getting his 25 year pen or something. And I sat on the front row and I watched him get his pen and I saw those dentists and hygienists and everybody clapping and I thought, oh, I wanna be a part of this. And I, when I stood up there and I got that big award, which is a huge award in the state of Oklahoma, and I told him all that. I said, do you see what that man did for me? Yeah. You can do that. Everybody in this profession can do that for one kid, just one kid. Yeah. What an impact. Every one of us can do it. It's easy. So I try to tell my students that too, without being too emotional. <laughs> It's okay to be emotional. I don't think we should ever apologize for that because that's that's what makes us who we are, right? I mean, I can cry in the drop of a dime. Ask my daughter. I had I, everything. But that's that's who we are. We're emotional beings. Women are emotional beings. And we are, I think, a little bit more connected on that side of things. And we feel what other people feel. Somehow we sense it. Somehow we just know it. And I think that, that it's okay. It's okay to cry and it's okay to be emotional. I think it's a huge deal to have graduated on Mother's Day, being a single mom. I don't know if you were single all the way through that time, but being a single mom, I mean, kudos to you. I mean, that's a huge accomplishment. It was, it was. Now, was your mom, I just, I have to ask this, and I hope it's not a tough question. Was your mom alive when you graduated? I bet she was so proud, or she would have been. From dental school? No, from hygiene school. From hygiene I mean, from yeah. your bachelor's. Yeah. Yeah, she was there, and that's what, and she, oh, she loved it. She just said, she said, this is great. She said, this is the greatest Mother's Day present ever. Yeah. Yeah, she lived, uh, yeah, she lived, my mother lived to be 100. Oh, that's fabulous. Yeah, How she, fabulous. Yeah, she didn't She didn't die until 2007. So she saw you graduate from dental school also. Yes, yes, oh she my did. gosh, she must have just been beside herself. Yeah, <laughs> she did. Because I remember she sat, when I graduated from dental school, she sat pretty close to the front row. She was, she was right there. Oh, that's great, that's fabulous. So is there an obstacle, while well, you were talking about your obstacles, your obstacles were, were being able to get through your bachelor's program. Uh -huh. That in and of itself was a great story. So I appreciate you telling me that. So the most, most influential people in your lives were not female, they were male. They were males for sure. Dr. Rumsey and Dr. Reynolds, both ours, they were definitely the most influential. Unbelievable. So. Kudos to those men that did see something in you that was special. Is there um, something that people would be surprised to know about you? Yes, um, you would even be surprised. I'm, I'm usually kind of shy and I'm an introvert and it just drains me that, you know, at the end of the day after teaching or whatever, I just like to be quiet and be by myself and Sometimes I just don't talk very much, but I give it all out at school or with my patients. So mm. and after being in school or practice, people would say, what do you mean you're shot? But I come home and my husband knows I am. 
So you like that downtime where you can reflect and, and be I have to have introspective. Yeah, I think that's a really good, you know, a really good habit to have because I think that very few of us spend time for, with ourselves and that can lead to imbalance in our lives. And I think we need to balance out both sides of our lives that we need to do. Uh, I have to have it. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Do you have a personal mantra, a motto that you live by? I've always told my students and the people at work that past performance is the best predictor of future performance. Ah, that is a great one. I've just always, it sounds somewhat negative, but it's not always. I mean, I've, and students too. I mean, students can have a bad day, but if they normally are a are a pretty good student, then they're going to be okay. But that's my number one is past performance is the best predictor of future performance. Oh my gosh, that is fabulous. That is fabulous. Well, I have taken up way too much of your time and I have loved having such a great emotional conversation with you, Mary. It's just, it's been a delight. And it, you are so good at what you do. Oh, I don't, you know, it's one of those things you're learning. I'm learning by the seat of my pants and, you know, I can talk. So I'm an extrovert. I like to come home though, also at the end of the day and be quiet. So for me, I enjoy being in Boston during the week and having my, my condo and I come home and I do my things, but then I go home to Steve on the weekends and live in Maine. So you know, I get the best of both worlds and I have that balance and it works great for us in, in this moment in time and in, in life. And so, you know, we're both really, really happy, both very happy in our relationships. You know, I, I too was divorced, you know, after 24 years and didn't think I would ever find another relationship, but everybody's moved on and we're all one big happy family and we all get together for holidays and, and it's great. So my husband's name's Steve. Oh, it is? Oh, yeah. fabulous. Yeah. I had something else I was going to say and it went, whoop. Oh, well, I'll think of it later. But it's really been neat to talk to you, really. Oh, you I was, too. I was going to say, I spoke at Tufts to the students in 2016. Oh, you did? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. It was a group meeting of Tufts and BU students. I knew all about it. And in fact... I had been invited, but I could not go. There was something else that uh, took me away from that. I didn't work there because, yeah, I would have remembered you. Yeah. Well, the other thing is, I do remember you were president. I just, this came to me when we were talking. You were president of AAWD when I was in my first or second year out, and you were at Yankee. You had, yes, you had come as president to Yankee, and I was at Yankee, and we had a reception. And you came to the reception. Kathy O'Loughlin was there. A whole bunch of really amazing women were there. And I, I can remember looking around the room and saying, oh, my gosh, look at what all these women are doing. And, you know, I just, you know, have been inspired by what women are doing in this field for a very long time. Had no idea I was going to be doing this. It just came as an idea back in the middle of January, believe it or not. I did some research and I just jumped in both feet. It's great. And you know, I, and then I was president again in 2016. I did not know that. So you're president twice. So I was president of AWD twice. 
Isn't that interesting? Now, how come? They had some problems financially and with just the whole, I, all sorts of trouble. And they, several of the older members called and said, would you go come back? <laughs> would you come back and just start and reorganize the whole group? And I had to start back as president-elect. They, they couldn't get anybody because the board was in disarray. The management company had quit, was quitting, and they didn't know what to do. And um, they got, they had to search for a management company. And it was just a year of, they were worried that they were going to go under. And so during a year, we reorganized, found a new management company. And that year, I had to, this is incredible, I had to do the national meeting by myself. I learned a lot that year, but I worked with the ADA staff. They were wonderful. The ADA staff just took me under their wing and said, we will help you with everything. I mean, they just, they just let me. I planned it with the ADA in Denver, and they, I just worked with them, and they guided me like I was a little, I mean, they, I didn't know what I was doing, and I told them, I said, I've never been a meeting planner, and they said, we'll tell you everything you need to know, and I, I worked with them, and I did the whole meeting. Oh my gosh, Mary, that's amazing. I had no idea. While I was in private practice, but ADA really helped me. We put on a two-day meeting in Denver. Well, it was more a day and a half, but it worked, and, and we found a management company that we introduced at that meeting, and that came on board that we signed the paperwork there. So it worked out. So, and now, and we're still with them. All these years later. Perfect. Perfect. It worked out. That's great. Unbelievable. Well, Mary, it has been a pleasure having this conversation with you. I have thoroughly enjoyed getting to know you better. And I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart, really seriously, for taking some time to be with me. In the middle of all this craziness, you know, that's impacting dentistry, there's this light, I can see it, there's this light that's coming that, that is, is going to help all of us get through, and you're a shining beacon for all the young women out there. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you so much for listening to the Women in Dentistry podcast with Dr. MJ Hanlon. If you like our show and want to know more about us, check out our website, thewomenindentistry.com, or please leave us a review on iTunes. Join us for our next episode as we bring you another amazing woman leading the way for the next generation.